0: Welcome everyone. To Staircase Stories. I'm Nicholas. I'm Nathan. And today's episode is going to deal directly with creatures. Alright, why don't you tell us what exactly is Staircase Stories? So Staircase Stories is a collection of short tales created with the intent to mislead readers on its authenticity. So in other words, there's going to be three stories to every single episode, and your job is to guess which one is true. Kind of like two two truths and a lie, only this time
1: it's one story that's true amongst the three. All right, I, I think I should be able to tell which one is false and which one's real, bro. So uh, why don't you tell us what the first story is called? So our first story is called Raw Meat.
0: Let's get into it.
1: How well do you know your neighbors? We all live next to someone, but do we really know who they are? Do we really know what they are? Anything could be happening in those four walls. Witnesses Stephen learns this lesson the hard way. Stephen had never really talked to Mr.
0: and Mrs. Gonzalez, no more than the friendly neighborhood wave when passing to check the mail or open the garage. They seemed so normal. No one ever talked about them, but suddenly, everyone was. Mr. Gonzalez had recently died of a heart attack while mowing his lawn. Mrs. Gonzalez must have seen him from inside because she was already running to him once he hit the ground. She clutched the phone tight to her ear, guiding the ambulance to her home. The whole neighborhood watched as paramedics attempted to resuscitate him, but ultimately wrapped him in a black body bag. Mrs. Gonzalez was screaming in agony, watching as her husband's face slowly sank behind the closing zipper. The paramedics lifted the body into their van, and it was over. He was gone. One night, as Stephen was taken out of the trash, he heard a loud boom in his neighbor's backyard. Frozen, Stephen told himself it was nothing. He decided to head back in when he heard a man's voice scream no. He went next door to make sure everything was okay. Fearing something may have happened to Mrs. Gonzalez, he called the police. They advised him to stay there, but he couldn't. As he drew near to the basement's entrance, he could hear something moving inside. Curiosity overtook Stephen like quicksand and he descended the staircase. As he made his way down, he noticed a horrible smell. His imagination began to conjure images of Mrs. Gonzalez horribly disfigured just out of the reaches of light. Stephen began to panic and ran back up the stairs only to have it slam in his face. The force knocked him down the stairs into total darkness. Gathering himself up, he felt around for a light switch and flicked it on. A soft, blinking light permeated throughout the darkness, revealing the contents of the basement. Raw meat lay strewn about the floor, and solving the mystery of the stench. A cleaver nearby had been forcibly dug into what appeared to be bone, the skin freshly stripped. The hell have I gotten myself into, thought Stephen. Suddenly a low voice sounded from somewhere nearby. <sighs> Stephen froze, but his eyes quickly darted around the room attempting to locate the voice. Hello? Stephen whispered back. Please help me. The voice whispered again. Stephen began moving towards the sound. He approached a blue tarp that outstretched across a large square box. He hesitated to remove the tarp. Another barrage of horrible images danced around his head. Pushing those thoughts aside, he quickly ripped the tarp away from the box underneath. Stephen looked in horror at his discovery. A small, heavily rusted cage lay on the floor. Bones could be seen all around, bits of joints and flesh still attached. Dried blood lined the outskirts of the cage, as if someone had poured it over top. Although the outside of the cage mortified Stephen, what was inside was much worse. The creature in the cage appeared to be a man, crouched on all four limbs. At first sight, Stephen assumed the man was wearing some sort of coat. But as he got closer, he soon realized how wrong he was. Thick fur matted in knots ran all the way down the man's back. It continued traveling to his hands and feet where chains were added as a secondary form of restraint. The strangest oddity was the man's face. Two large blue eyes beamed from under his woolly fur. Every inch of his face was wrapped tightly in hair. Stephen couldn't help but stare until the man spoke again. Help me. She'll be- down here, son. No time to think. Stephen attempted to free the man from his prison, but the cage was locked. The key over there, the man said, pointing across the room. Stephen dashed for the keys and quickly began opening the lock. With one lock down, only the chains remained around his feet. Hurry, hurry, the man said frantically. Stephen managed to get the chains off his wrist and ankles, but noticed the man didn't move. Stephen could see the prisoner fixed on something in the room. He quickly turned only to see Mrs. Gonzalez standing in the middle of the dark basement. He's a monster. You wouldn't understand. She said as she pulled a gun from behind her. Don't do this! But it was too late. As Mrs. Gonzalez approached Steven's lifeless body in the cage, she realized her captive was gone. Moments later, sirens were heard on the streets above. When the police arrived, Mrs. Gonzalez walked them into the basement. She told them everything that happened. Her neighbor, Steven, attempted to rob her in the night.
1: Wow, that I really enjoyed that story. Whoever edited that, I think did a damn good job. Who did edit that? Uh, I think it was a guy named Nicholas Boland. Yeah, think. he's good. He's good at editing. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, what? What, what
0: what did you think about that story? You think that one could be true? You think that one could be that a load, is... of, load of
1: garbage? What, what's going on with that story i am kind of in the middle about that one um i'm leaning towards false and i'll tell you why just because the first thing when i was listening to that the first thing that came to mind was how did he get into the house is my question because you know obviously the story didn't really cover that so how did who get into the house how did steven get into the house he's in the basement Right, so you have to get into the house to get to the basement, right? It's outdoor basement. Or it's an outdoor basement. Well, is, would it just be unlocked? Especially if Missy Gonzalez has a guy down there in prison, she would definitely have it locked. That's <laughs> my idea of it. That's my thoughts. It would definitely be locked and chained up, and that, obviously, you know, we can only get into it so much because of you know time constraints but that wasn't really mentioned in the story so the, that's the first thing that comes to my mind if, if mrs gonzalez who sounds like a savage by the way an og but she has this guy down in the basement prisoner hostage she would have a lot of security preventing people to just get in there for that um reason i i guess i kind of think about it like
0: it seemed like miss gonzalez Something was going on to cause that dude to scream. And so maybe she just left the basement That's and he a- walked right into that cuz then she closed someone closes the door on him. He falls
1: back into the basement. So maybe maybe she uh you know. Yeah, that was the other part too. It's like, well maybe it was a complete setup. Maybe she wanted to somebody to come in. Maybe, you know, just like you said, maybe she forced him to scream as a setup. She knew that he would come over. I think something happened
0: in that basement prior to Steven that was out of Mrs. Gonzalez's hands. And he showed up and Mrs. Gonzalez had to do what she had to do. And that was, you know, take care of witnesses
1: and stuff like that. She's obviously up to something. Something's going on with her. Yeah, definitely a a bad lady, but I think uh, I'm leaning toward fake. Okay, so I don't think everything's adding up with that. Plus, see, I don't know. I know there's a lot of people out there with certain things that are weird about them. You know, like bearded ladies and all that. But a guy with fur, I don't know. I'm just not buying it. Okay. All right. Good. All right. So let's get into the next one. All right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing the rest. Let's go. The
0: second tale that we have is dark water. Let's go.
1: Summer Summer camp, a time when young adolescents discover themselves, friendships kindle and experiences of a lifetime are in abundance. Not all kids are friends though, take Eliza and Autumn, rivals who, in the end, will find out what it means to race for their lives.
0: Faster, said Eliza to herself. Paddle, 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 she continued. Her kayak glided over Crystal Lake like a sharp knife. The relay race was almost complete. Sweat dripped from Eliza's brow as she pushed and pulled on her oars. The finish line was now in sight. Closer and closer it approached. She could already envision the trophy in her hands. On your left, a voice suddenly called out. Turning in the direction of the voice, Eliza watched as Autumn Wheatley drove powerful strokes through the water and sailed right past, smiling as she did. Panic set in as Eliza pushed harder to win the race, but to no avail. Autumn won by an inch. Defeat set in as Eliza's tired arms dropped her oar at the finish line. Eliza hated losing, especially to Autumn. The two had been campers at Camp Gilman for the last three years, and each year they grew to dislike each other more and more, starting as friendly competition and ending as true camp rivals. The relay race was over, and the award ceremony began. Autumn won again. Eliza watched as the famous relay gold medal was placed around Autumn's neck, while the silver was placed, traditionally, around her own. As night quickly approached, all of the campers headed back to their cabins. After nightfall, everyone tucked into their beds for the night. Autumn, you awake, whispered Eliza. No, returned Autumn flatly. You cheated, said Eliza, louder than she intended. What, replied Autumn, how? I don't know how, but I know you did, said Eliza. Whatever, you're just being a sore loser. Again, said Autumn, turning over in her bed prove it race me now the counselors are asleep demanded eliza you're joking i'm not proving anything autumn fired back eliza thought for a moment and proposed a bet if you win i'll give you my cantina card and make your bunk for the rest of the week "Mm, no thanks replied autumn i'll tell the counselors where you hide your cigarettes smiled eliza as the two girls made their way back to the lake Eliza couldn't shake the feeling they were being watched. Refusing to turn back now, she led Autumn to the kayaks that were still docked from the race. Okay, we'll do one lap, across the lake, then back, said Eliza. Fine, but when I win, you admit you're a loser. I can never beat me, replied Autumn. Deal, agreed Eliza. As each girl readied their kayak, they took turns counting down from three, three, two. One, and they were off. Both paddling as fast as they could, each determined to win the impromptu race. Darkness surrounded the girls, which made the water look black and gelatinous. This made them both feel uneasy, but fear of showing any weakness kept Eliza and Autumn from revealing their true feelings on their current predicament. The only thing that mattered was winning the race. Autumn was the first to make it to the other end of the lake and started back towards the finish line Eliza, close behind. With only the moon and stars to light their way, it was difficult to see exactly how far she was from Autumn. As Eliza made her turn around for the race back, her oar suddenly got stuck in the water as though someone or something had grabbed it. The force was so strong she almost tipped her kayak. Stabilizing herself, she tore the oar from the grip of the black water. Her mind focused only on beating Autumn and not this curiosity. Regaining composure, she set off to overcome her opponent, but to her surprise, Autumn couldn't be seen on the moonlit Lake. Was she that far ahead? Thought Eliza. Straining to see further in the darkness, she listened for the splashing of oars. Silence. Confusion began to set in. She continued to paddle towards the finish line, suddenly regretting her decisions to be out here on the lake. As she approached the docks, she could see a figure standing on the edge of the lake. Relief flooded her veins. Okay, I admit it. You're faster, I don't know how you... Eliza's words caught in her throat as the figure became a little clearer. Although she couldn't make out exactly who it was, she knew it was not Autumn. Now, only about 20 feet from the figure, the details terrified her. Hunched in the darkness, a man could be seen his skin reflecting the moonlight. Long, thin strands of hair outlined his face down to his shoulders. Large black eyes beamed from a face that could only be described as absent. Sounds could be heard from the depths of his stomach as though it were humming. To the right of the figure, Eliza could see something moving. Help, a female shrieked out of the darkness. The figure reached for the girl next to him and began dragging her into the lake, the girl barely moving. Eliza watched as its body descended lower and lower into the black water. She didn't know what to do. She couldn't make sense of what she saw. The figure moved directly under Eliza's kayak as she unknowingly held her breath. After what felt like an hour, Eliza paddled to the shoreline. She quickly jumped out onto land and ran to where the figure had been moments earlier with Autumn lying on the ground was the gold medal from the relay race looking out on the lake she smiled as she picked up the gold medal and placed it around her neck eliza had finally won the race
1: hmm all right so this one actually has me really thinking about i i'm just gonna tell you right off the bat i think this one is probably the true one and the reason why I say that is basically because it's more... It's completely believable. Just because there's really nothing, um... Too crazy or paranormal about it. I mean...
0: A guy walking underneath of her boat isn't paranormal?
1: No, I, I mean, like, it's possible. You know what I mean? Like, okay. there's a guy could be swimming out there in... You know I mean it's unlikely but it's 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 possible is my thing so I think this one is probably the one that is uh the one story that is true out of all of them okay uh, so that's that's my I'm gonna it's my final answer on it I think I'm gonna stick with that final answer yeah final answer locking it in lock it in
0: all right well let's move on to the final story that we have and this one's called walking distance let's do it
1: Ever been to a foreign country? It can be full of exciting adventures and sights to behold. New people to meet and places to explore. But for Lindsay and David, they'll have one adventure they wish they never had.
0: David and Lindsay had just stepped onto the off-ramp of their vacation cruise as the large crowds dispersed ahead in different directions. Seagulls could be heard overhead in search of scrap food along boardwalks and bustling shops nearby. Everyone seemed to know exactly where to go, families and friends pointing this way and that way, excited to begin their foreign adventure. I'm starving, let's get food, said Lindsay to David. Me too, let's grab a seat over there and see what's around, David said, pointing to a bench a few feet away. As David began to pull out his map, Lindsay had already had her phone searching the local cuisine. Well, looks like some options on the next street up ahead. It's in walking distance, said Lindsay. But David didn't hear her. Instead, he was distracted by the hustle and bustle of the crowds. He began to feel uneasy. Being in a new place is exciting, but also terrifying. David, did you hear me? asked Lindsay. What? Sorry. Are you okay? Yeah, you know I don't like crowds. All right, well, let's get to the restaurant. As they made their way through the busy street, it was impossible not to bump shoulders with strangers. Quiet excuse me and pardon me were exchanged amongst passerbys. David held one hand on Lindsay's and the other tight on his luggage. So when he felt pressure on his pant pocket, he knew someone just went for his wallet. He had always heard of something like this happening, but never thought it would happen to him. My wallet, hey, shouted David, attempting to see over the crowds. What, screamed Lindsay, as David pulled her arm along after the thief. David could see a small figure running and weaving through Taurus the head, but no one seemed to notice whoever it was. This was the thief, David was sure. Lindsay called for David to explain what was going on when suddenly he pulled them into an empty alley. In the distance, the couple watched as a small child ran into what appeared to be a sewer. The entrance was big enough for a large man, but obvious hesitation persisted upon David. David, stop. What's going on? demanded Lindsay. That kid, he stole my wallet, exclaimed David. What kid? He ran in there, David said, pointing towards the dark hole ahead. Well, you're not going in there. Maybe he ran back to other people who were waiting for you in there. I've read those things happen. Lindsay, I have to get my wallet back. My ID, my credit cards... The only photo I have of my dad is in that wallet, David finally said. No, we have to call the police. They can get it back for us, said Lindsey. And say what, another tourist got pickpocketed? No, I'm getting my wallet back now, said David, as he began to inch towards the dark entrance. David, don't, screamed Lindsey. Stay here, I'll be right back, said David over his shoulder. As David entered the dark tunnel, he could hear scurrying in the distance. Hello? hola mi amigo kid i need that wallet okay you can keep the cash uh the dinero. it's yours i just need my wallet no policia yelled david attempting to conjure as many spanish phrases he could remember suddenly laughter could be heard in the distant darkness and terror began to take hold of david he could hear fast footsteps approaching and brace himself for impact But nothing hit him. It was as though whatever was running ran right past him. Summoning the will to move, desperate to regain his stolen wallet, he ran after the footsteps. The crushing darkness was disorienting. He outstretched his arms, not wanting to hit a wall. Tripping over something in the empty tunnel, David fell hard to the ground. He felt around to find what he tripped over. Feeling stupid for not thinking of it sooner, David pulled out his phone for light only to reveal the skeleton of a small child and its hands clutched a wallet
1: yeah see that was I think out of all three of them I think that was uh, my favorite story um, why is that it just I don't know just like the flow of it was really good and the story especially the ending where it's like you know the, the skeleton on the ground and it was clutching a wallet I think that was really cool um, I Definitely my favorite story out of all of them as far as the entertainment and everything and the, the floor of the story. Uh, But I think uh, that one was probably false, I would say. So why did not you reveal to me, is this one true or false? So this one is false. This is not a true story. Ha! <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> all right. All right, so I was, I'm one for one here. So alright so that one's false I'm one for one here um, so what about dark water dark water is false ok ok see <laughs> ok this is getting interesting now so that one is false ok and that's the one I said it was true so I'm one for what two one for two now so let's go ahead and talk about raw meat So, Raw Meat is the true story of the night. Wow. See, that is very interesting to me because I would have probably said that one... Least believable. Yeah, the least believable because I know obviously the skeleton can't grab a wallet, but maybe somebody was messing with the guy and maybe stuck it in the, the skeleton's hand. Maybe that's what I was thinking, but wow so raw meat is the true story that is very interesting so do you have some background i would love to hear kind of the full story on that um since it's true all right so our true story
0: was raw meat and that was inspired by the real life person of pedro gonzalez uh he was born in 1537 in Tenerife, spain And he was born with a very rare condition called hypertrichosis and you had actually mentioned this during which I thought was so funny that you said uh, hair wrapped around a guy's face not buying it which is this is a extremely rare condition it affects about 1 in 1 billion people there's only been about 50 to 100 reported cases in history so you're right it is a very unbelievable thing but it is it is a very very real uh phenomenon that happens
1: yeah you know the interesting thing is if you go back and listen i actually mentioned that some people are have these weird things you know like the bearded lady thing so yeah that's very interesting that you said I, I you know now that you mention it you know a, a disease i i you know i kind of i can see it yeah
0: um so there's actually two ways of being able to get this condition so the first way is congenital it's the way you're born uh and then another way is is it's called an acquired condition so you can get this if you have cancer or if it's a um a side effect to a medication so just because you weren't born with hypertrichosis does not mean that you won't end up with hypertrichosis, which is, and, and hypertrichosis actually literally translates to too much hair. And, um, we, w- another term for it today is called Ambrose syndrome. So that's, that's the, the, the most current form of that, that condition is called Ambrose syndrome. But back then they simply called it werewolf syndrome. So, uh, little is known about Pedro's parents, but what is known is that he was sold into slavery by some guys, uh, they they were not pirates, but they they were people who deal with the boats and ships and things like that. And they, his parents sold him, uh, to these, to these men. And you got to think, this is a very hairy child. This is back, you know, back in the 1500s. Um, any kind of oddities that you would see, a lot of times they believe it was the devil or some sort of monster or a beast, and they actually called these um, these people who had this disorder, although it was so rare and there were so, uh, so few, the few that that were found and, and known about, they called the wild men. So um, that was just a really interesting um, uh, tidbit of the story. So uh, fast forward, those guys ended up giving the king of France uh, Pedro as a gift in for 1547 so at 10 years old Pedro was given as a gift to the king and the reason why this is so um, normal I guess for the time is because royals would collect oddities and the, the more odd the object or the um, person was the higher class or the higher um like style of uh you know wealth that a royal would have so the stranger the oddity the better it is for the royal so he was actually offered as a gift to the king while he is with the king he's moved into the dungeons and while he's in the dungeons they put him in a very small cage this is a 10 year old boy who has nothing wrong with him aside from hair all over his body okay wrapped all over they treated him like an animal they fed him animal feed they fed him raw meat literally i mean imagine that being fed like 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 a piece of chicken and saying here eat that you know and he's a 10 year old boy just like any other boy like you know and that's what that's what that's exactly what they try to feed him um so one day the king came into the dungeons and he had a radical idea. His idea was, can I turn a beast into a man? And that was his mission moving forward. And that's exactly what he did. Um, he, the first thing that he did is that he changed his name to Petros Gonsalves, which is just a little bit more Spanishy than Pedro, I guess. He first changed his name to Pedros and then began giving him a formal education no different than any other nobleman at the time. And it turned out that Pedro was actually a prodigy and although he excelled in all different kinds of school topics It seemed that language was his number one go-to uh, Topic and he spoke three different languages including latin the dead language. So imagine this boy who's ten years old and um, turns out he's a prodigy he's a genius and he starts getting all of this education but yet he looks and is still treated as a wild man um although uh he was in the king's court he still was never looked at as a full human being and i think that's um really important Uh, To point out. Um, One of the things that the royals really like to do is that they love dressing Pedro in very high-class clothes because they love the way the juxtaposition was to his hairy fur and that they look so odd together and it was almost like funny or interesting just to see them so they would always dress them in this highfalutin clothing as well. The king did end up giving him a position in court, but like I said, he never really held the position because no one really honored him as a human being, let alone a position holder. After the king died, his wife Catherine ended up becoming the queen regent, meaning that she just took over until they could appoint a new king. And this queen would actually seek out her own evil experiment when she forced Pedro into marriage, wishing for little hairy creatures of her own. She would marry him off to another Catherine, but this Catherine in history was never identified to have a last name. They would go on to be together for 40 years. They had seven children. The first two children that they had did not have hypertrichosis, and it was extremely gut-wrenching for the queen. That's all she wanted, was little furry creatures that she could show off to all, all of her other royals. But by the third child, they did end up having a string of hypertrichosis babies. So four of them had hypertrichosis. And subsequently, when they were of age, probably toddlers, the queen ended up giving a lot of them away. And at first it seems like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she would do that. But another theory behind this is that it's very possible that they were given as... Um, a way of protecting the children's future or maybe you know securing their future in another high royal um, area. So after the Queen died they were forced to leave the castle and the Gasolvas would travel the world with the remaining kids as oddities and they would oftentimes earn a very handsome reward just by being themselves, just by being on display. They became extremely famous in Europe, and many different royals wouldn't be considered high class unless they had a picture of Pedro in their home, or a picture of one of his children, Or um, one of his descendants if you didn't have that you weren't considered like high-class pictures of them were high class and that's why there's still so many of those paintings still around today Um, so and and feel free to look look up these um, these paintings they're really interesting and speaking of the paintings There's one painting in particular where his wife Catherine is putting her hand on um, Pedro's shoulder, which is an indication that there was some sort of affection towards each other. That was like um, a gesture of um, affection back in those times a lot of times there was no affection between marriages there were arranged marriages but the idea behind it is that they actually really did love each other and i think what's so important about that is that this was a hairy person this is a guy who is extremely odd in his appearance and catherine historically was a very beautiful woman so flash forward to their deaths no reports of their deaths at all and the reason behind that is because they were not considered people. Catherine on the other hand there was some evidence to support when she died. Seems that she died maybe around 1623 Um, but other aside from that there's really no other evidence um, to support uh, any of their deaths. I mean they of course did die but there's there's no record at all. Um, So historically the story of Petros Gonzalez and Catherine is believed to be what inspired the French writer Jean Marie Le Prince de Beaumont to write Beauty and the Beast. That's where the Beauty and the Beast story came from. Well, historically, that's as the legend goes, this is what inspired that story. Which Belle, being a very beautiful woman, this beast in the woods, the man of the woods, um, all totally inspired by Petros Gonzalez. So that's the true story and that's uh, where that inspiration came from
1: wow dude that is amazing especially that it was it kind of inspired the beauty and the beast that is really interesting very very cool
0: yeah that's, that's what drew me to it so uh, I hope that someone out there got the, uh, answer correct. I know that you, you guessed, the uh, dark waters and I'm sorry to tell you that that was not true.
1: Yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll do better next episode.
0: Yeah. So, uh, with that being said, we appreciate you guys coming down with us
1: and we will see you next time on the staircase. Thank you guys so much. Have a safe weekend and God bless. Bye.